From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we are looking back through technology history to better understand the trends that we see today. My name is Quinn Nelson, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How's it going, Stephen? It's good, Quinn. How are you? Uh, good. Nice and warm out here. Uh, I'm assuming the same for you. Uh, Memphis, where I live, we got seven inches of snow, mm. uh, which is more than we've had in my entire lifetime, I think. So <laughs> wow. everything is shut down. It's it's uh, it's pretty wild. With this weather kind of irregularities that's that have been happening nationwide, it just makes me not laugh. But it is funny how cities that are used to this are, are so well equipped to handle snow removal and power outages and all that stuff and, and everywhere else just totally isn't. We had a pretty big storm too. Um, at my house, we got probably 15, 16 inches. And by 6.30 a.m., it was like, get to work. What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they were like hiring people with, with bulldozers to like scrape the streets. <laughs> like, wow, that's nothing. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Well, you got to see the snow. That's fun. Yeah, the kids had a good time. We did some sledding. It was good. That is good. That is good. It's good. It's still here. It hasn't. It's not going to melt for a few more days. Mm, mm. Yeah, we're in the same boat. Uh, well, Stephen, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk about OS2, which is a mostly forgotten operating system, really born out of a very strange relationship. And I think that's going to be kind of the lens that we, we talk about this. I think the moral of the story is, if you're trying to defeat somebody in the marketplace, don't partner with them to build your way to defeat them <laughs> right like yeah that's probably wise advice yeah uh, ibm learned this the hard way so uh we're gonna start way back in 1980 wow. for either of us were alive yeah bill gates was just 25 and was on the verge of a deal that i mean honestly would shape the computer industry for decades to come I mean, you really look at early Microsoft history, Bill Gates made some incredibly forward-looking decisions. Now, he was also ruthless, as we'll get into, but some of the decisions Microsoft made in those early days, really, like, we're still living with the outcome of those decisions today in many ways. It really is true. Uh, and you look at IBM, IBM was crazy powerful in the business machines and mainframe market, but hadn't really delved that much into kind of the personal computer market. But they wanted to. Obviously, this was a, a growing market. It was no longer just mere nerds that wanted to tinker around with stuff on the, on the weekends. I mean, this was becoming a, a mainstream product. People recognized that the computer was the future, and, and IBM really needed an operating system so that it could enter the market with its own hardware. Mm -hmm. Microsoft, well, they were on the list of small companies to talk to about outsourcing that needed software development. Um, we talked about how they met in 1980, and, and they did, but that meeting didn't really end with a handshake and a contract, <laughs> because Gates had insisted on being able to retain the right to license their disk operating system, or DOS, in um, not just to IBM, but to other companies as well, in addition to Big Blue, um, which is kind of surprising in and of itself. 
Um, but uh, basically, IBM had had talked to a number of different companies. One of them was named Digital Research, and and the story behind Digital Research is both sad and um, absolutely wild. It's like the most 1980s computer story I've, I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that eventually. But uh, long story short, Digital Research doesn't really work out, and Microsoft is awarded the contract. IBM paid a one-time fee of eighty thousand dollars, or about. $253,000 in today's money for perpetual rights to Microsoft uh, DOS. And they licensed Microsoft Basics programming language as well as several applications. And, and somewhat fascinating, perhaps, this version of, of Microsoft DOS wasn't really... <laughs> It didn't exist. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, how do we say this politely? It's not real. So so what is it, Stephen? Yeah, so they didn't have a version of DOS ready to go. So they looked around, and there was this tiny little company called Seattle Computer Products. And someone there had written a disk operating system dubbed 86DOS, which was basically a clone of Digital Research's CPM software. Mm-hmm. So Microsoft goes out and and buys that. It's like, oh, IBM, here we go. Here's the DOS that we <laughs> totally had when we signed this contract. And it's so sad because the deal with digital research and IBM falls through. And ironically, the requests that they had made were not that dissimilar from Microsoft's own. No. But I think the team at Microsoft Gates and Balmer and a lot of the early Microsoft guys were, were convincing enough that they were able to get this thing worked out with what was essentially a knockoff of digital research's OS. <laughs> By the way, Microsoft paid $25,000 for 86 DOS mm-hmm. and then purchased the entire rights for another 50. So they yeah, uh they crazy. walked away with some cash from this, but the real thing was the uh the license uh which which we'll get to because Gates was ruthless and he knew IBM was sort of backed into a corner here both in their initial meeting because they wanted to get into the PC industry and they didn't have any any software for it. Mm-hmm. But then when they came back around, everyone knew what had happened with digital research. And so Gates basically insisted that they could license their DOS, which now they totally had, to um, other companies. And IBM allowed it because they weren't worried about other computer makers. This, Yeah, they were IBM. Yeah, yeah, they owned the mainframe space, or at least a lot of it, and this proved to be a huge mistake. There's a whole wide range, basically countless PC clone makers showed up on the market, and you guessed it, a whole bunch of them ran Microsoft DOS because they had the ability to go license it and sell it to these other companies. Yeah, so so things get really messy for, for IBM. Microsoft and Intel are are raking money in on the PC standard, which IBM themselves created, Yeah, (laughs) um, but they were getting left in the dust. And so in 1984, IBM put plans in motion to create an IBM-specific OS that was tied to their hardware, at least initially, um, that would not only make their machines more usable, but leave the rest of these PC clone makers that were making really inexpensive computers that, for all intents and purposes, did a lot of the same stuff running the same OS. They needed to leave that in the dust. And so they go out, they make a new operating system all by themselves. Oh, oh, wait a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute. Dubbed OS2. Um, And it was to go along with the name PS2, the series of computers that were due out in 1987. 
PS2 uh, also has ramifications today. Well, maybe not today, but 10 years ago. I mean, I guess some boards still ship with it, but you know the weirdo like round keyboard and mouse ports on PCs? Mm-hmm. Yep. That came from this system. They're still there. <laughs> so weird. Yep. So at this point, IBM, like their bread and butter is still a mainframe company. They're ramping up this production for the PS2. Uh, managers in the company were worried that they would not be able to produce an OS and have it ready for when the hardware would be ready, right? We talk about this a lot today with companies like Apple that do software and hardware. Like, there's always a push-pull between those two sides of the coin. So they turned to the to another company. They were going to outsource this. They were going to bring a partner in and do it. That's smart. And uh, who is it? They went with Microsoft. What? What? The very company that put them in the position they were in, they felt like was the best partner to help them build their own OS to compete with what Microsoft was doing. Yeah, we'll find out that that might be, maybe didn't work out for the best. Mm-mm. Uh, well, <laughs> IBM wasn't completely dumb. Unlike last time, they knew that they had to f- fix stuff around with this kind of a, this new arrangement. IBM dictated that it would own the rights to the software, to the operating system, and that Microsoft would not be able to license it. Uh, and while you might think that Microsoft wouldn't go along with this, there's this really great quote from Steve Ballmer about the situation with IBM. He says, it was what we used to call back at the time, riding the bear. You just had to try to stay on the bear's back. And the bear would twist and turn and try to throw you off. But we were going to stay on the bear because the bear was the biggest, the most important. You just had to be with the bear. Otherwise, you'd be under the bear. End quote. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so. it, it, it's hard to convey really the fear that other companies had of IBM. You know, there's that famous picture of Steve Jobs flipping off the IBM logo and When they introduced the Mac in 84, it basically was, is IBM going to rule this industry too? They rule mainframes and business Mm -hmm. machines, are they going to rule personal computers as well? Yeah. And so I think this Balmer quote is right on the money. Like, yeah, IBM is really powerful and really big. And if we can gain, whether it's money or power or influence by aligning ourselves with them, that's what we're going to do. And it is a a fairly logical strategy and one that ended up working out but it is wild to to kind of see how IBM could fall from grace so quickly mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about that rapid downfall yeah. for the next few years Microsoft and IBM engineers worked together on OS2 and it was announced in the spring of 1987 about 6 months after Microsoft started shipping the first OS2 software development kit which was really designed to give developers a head start on writing software for the new OS. Uh, In the meantime, both the Macintosh and the Amiga had gone on sale with their own graphical user interfaces. And of course, at the same time, Microsoft was working on Windows. Windows released in 1985, um, which was its GUI to sit atop DOS, but we'll get to that whole thing in a bit. So, you know, you've got Mac OS, you've got Amiga, you've got Uh, Windows, there are a number of new uh, fledgling operating systems that are kind of coming into fruition with with modern user interfaces and cursor input. And and IBM is, well, (laughs) struggling. They're they're behind schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And and bringing OS2 into the world would really prove to be a difficult task. So so what went went down to make this so problematic? Well, IBM had a strict set of non-disclosure agreements that were put in place to keep the work secret. In reality, this made communication within Microsoft 
really difficult. Very oftentimes, engineers from different parts of the project would have to meet and have to have a lawyer present because different people knew different things. So this this made communication just, I would say, basically impossible. Uh, this was combined with IBM's old school method of paying per thousand lines of code. So if you think about <laughs> the ramifications of that, the incentives that that creates, you end up with an OS that's pretty bloated, different parts of the system overlap, and there's a lot of redundancy. And this meant that the OS was heavy. It required three megabytes of RAM instead of the one megabyte of RAM that DOS itself required. So to go from DOS to OS2, you'd pay the $235 for OS2, but then you need to go out, and depending on the year, because RAM prices fluctuated greatly in the 80s, mm-hmm. you could go up and spend over $1,000 on RAM to upgrade your machine just to run this. So by the time OS2 launched at the end of 87, it's, uh, it's already an uphill battle. Yeah, and, and and not only is it bloated because of the fact that Microsoft was basically incentivized to write as much as much and as messy of code as possible, which is is a bananas concept to me now. Uh, but not only that, it launched without some really major features. So we've kind of talked about the when, but let's talk about the what, because OS2 did actually have some redeeming qualities. It was both very modern and also remarkably outdated at (laughs) kind of the same time, (laughs) starting with version uh, 1.0, so OS2. One, well, it, oh, it honestly wasn't really good at all. And that's because, like we mentioned, it launched in 1987. But it launched without a graphical user interface. That wasn't ready yet. Wasn't that the whole point? <laughs> yeah. And so Mac OS, that launched back in 1984. Windows launched in 1985. There were other operating systems that had graphical user interfaces, um, including a lot of really small OSs. And this was IBM. And in 1987, years after these have already existed, no GUI yet. Sorry. More critically, OS2 didn't have support for 32-bit applications, and thus it it could not take advantage of the 386-based PS2 and ATPC market that were already being sold by fairly decent numbers. I mean, this was becoming a popular computer, a popular chip. OS2, it it just didn't work. Now, this wasn't complete kind of... uh, This wasn't a complete oversight. It was mostly just bad timing because work on OS2 had begun before 386 systems existed. And both IBM and Microsoft, when the chips were released, decided, well, you know what? It's probably just worth releasing the 16-bit version of OS2 because it's ready right now, then wait even longer to get to market, which ended up being a good idea because it took five years for them to finally get around to working with 386-based systems and 32-bit apps, which is just... (laughs) Uh, There was also pretty poor compatibility with DOS applications, which was basically a must at the time, right? You have this new OS, but you need to support the world of DOS programs. The 286 systems that did support OS2 had a number of hardware limitations that really made this compatibility and stability a problem. There's a lot to this with like how the 286 and 386 actually work. They have these different modes and it's a mess, Mm -hmm. but the short of it is that OS2 on the 286 
even then really couldn't do what it needed to do. And, and it was more expensive than DOS, and it was kind of less supported than DOS. And, and frankly, it looked very familiar to DOS, <laughs> uh, not just from a, you know, uh, the idea that it was still a c- command line based interface rather than a graphical user interface, but even a lot of its kind of legacy commands functioned the same, which was intentional. I mean, these systems were very, very different over, under the hood, but IBM and Microsoft wanted to make the transition between the two as seamless uh, as possible. But, uh, you know, OS2 just lacked features. Um, For example, they shipped the system with a single old, outdated, and unstable text editor that would oftentimes crash the system, which is like, yikes, that's not good. Mm -mm. (laughs) And then when running over, when running a DOS program, it would overtake the whole OS. And there were a lot of times where if you let a certain period of time lapse, the whole system would just seize up. So, ugh pretty bad. But there was one redeeming feature of OS 2 version 1, and that was uh, basically, uh, I mean, a multitasking virtual machine, kind of. It was called the DOS Program Selector. And it was a shell that allowed you to run multiple user sessions. And so you could uh, run multiple sessions of the OS, um, of you know DOS, basically, with editors, um, compilers, and other tools all at the same time. And what this allowed for was um, really, really, really good multitasking and development because it allowed you to basically, again, run multiple sessions at the same time, which typically was limited to one session at a time on a computer, and then you'd need to reboot and, and do all this stuff. And this just allowed you to do multiple at once, which was pretty cool. Um, and, and I think was kind of a uh, was a forefront to what OS 2 version 2 would become. But before we get to that, because OS 2 version 2 is actually pretty cool, we need to talk about OS 2 version 1.1 and and it sounds and looks like a big update but it's I mean, it's really not. Yeah. So this is in 1988, so about a year later. They fixed and added a lot of things. So they brought in a modern full screen editor getting rid of the old one you mentioned, improved partition tools, you could uh you could now print. That's good. Got print spoolers added. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it had sort of the headlining feature was presentation manager. And this is what IBM called its GUI. It was similar to Microsoft Windows 2, but there were some uh, significant differences. So presentation manager used what IBM called the graphics programming interface. At this point, Windows drawing engine, so the, the stuff that actually put things in the GUI for Windows was really pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, IBM's was much more feature rich. It has smooth animations. It supported a number of child windows that had their own window controls. So oh. just like now on Mac OS, you could have multiple Finder windows and they're all kind of independent. Yeah, uh, Windows 2 only supported a single window at a time. And th- there's reasons for that because Microsoft and Apple were tangled up in lawsuits because Apple sued Microsoft for copying the look and feel of Mac OS. Yep. And so Windows was kind of hamstrung, but IBM could go further. But uh, the 32-bit thing was still around, still didn't support it. The unsupported 386 hardware offered uh, a V86 mode. This would give better backwards compatibility with DOS, but it pushed and pushed and pushed and just finally came out in 1992. 
It took a long time. Way too late. Way too late. <laughs> but as you said, OS2 version 2, boy, these numbers and names, they're not great. Uh, OS2.2 had some some cool stuff in it. Okay, so let's talk about it. As mentioned, it shipped in 92, but that's not entirely true. It actually shipped in 1991 in a limited availability. That's what they called it. Uh, It was basically an early access to beta testers and special customers. I don't know what that means. And the OS shipped with this long readme file of things that were just broken or non-functional or not yet implemented. You might wonder... Why ship something like this at all? I think there were a couple reasons IBM needed to show their cards and really prove that this was actually coming. Yeah. But a popular rumor was that it was to stick it to Steve Ballmer, who said that he would eat a floppy disk if IBM managed to release OS2 version 2.0 by the end of 91. And so they did it uh, in late 91, in December, just to prove that they could, although they, they didn't really okay does it does it sound like Ballmer and ibm are becoming a little unfriendly like microsoft and ibm yeah, i was are... gonna say i thought they were working together why are you threatening to eat a floppy disk yeah well they they were until they weren't the collaboration between the two companies uh, really broke up in 1990 between the releases of windows 3.0 and uh, os2 version 1.3 as os2 2 had begun kind of early development. Uh, Windows had become a tremendous success because it was bundled with most new computers and supported by a large variety of hardware. Um, And and so despite OS2 having a lot of really cool features, which we're going to talk about right now, um, it it just, you know, it it couldn't really compete. And and there was uh, some belief that A, IBM was extremely dysfunctional, which kind of inhibited um, the the rate of growth of OS2. And then B, there was a, a fairly decent belief that Microsoft was not sandbagging OS2, but stealing a lot of the ideas and implementations that IBM had come up with and just putting them into Windows, which was already rapidly becoming a market leader. And so there was a very quick incentive for the two companies to just go their separate ways, because if IBM didn't, it was just a surefire reality that that Windows was going to win. Mm -hmm. And so they had to kind of maybe try to steal that crown away. I love the marketing line for OS2 2.0. A better DOS than DOS and a better Windows than Windows. That is pretty good. <laughs> that uh, reminds me of That's the, a good uh, line. I, I like that it. It reminds me of the, the Apple ads years ago that said, you know, like the best the best PC is a MacBook. So let's talk about some of the, the features in OS 2 2.0. The the biggest new feature, I guess, <laughs> besides 32-bit support, mm-hmm. was the the UI. It was a radical departure from the GUI that had been used in the 1X versions, and also a, a, a bigger departure from Windows 3. Right. It was object-oriented, and basically anything could be an object. So you had drives, printers, programs, trash, and you could manipulate them with drag-and-drop, copy-and-paste, moving things, and get this, all with a mouse. Yeah, that's cool. Pretty, pretty cool. That is cool. Some other companies should maybe look into that. And version two actually made use of a second mouse button to show context submenus, something that, of course, we're all extremely used to today. You know, if you look at the Apple side of things, there's there's slight bias because much of this existed from from a few years before. 
But if you look at like a, a video of, of OS 2 version 2, it, it really is impressive just how intuitive and how simple it is. It, it looks a little different than user interfaces we use today, but nothing about it looks wrong. In fact, there's some things that I, I actually think look really, really good, like the fact that um, print spoolers and a lot of stuff like that was was not buried super deep into submenus. It was all kind of you know on the surface. Um, what makes it even more interesting is that IBM really leaned into this idea of compatibility. Um, the OS shipped with a fully licensed version of MS-DOS 5.0, and the system could run multiple DOS apps at a time, Ooh. which was great in Windows. In fact, this is where it gets a little crazy. It even allowed OS 2 to run a modified copy of Windows 3.0 inside of a virtual DOS machine. <laughs> and IBM even developed versions of OS 2 that would use whatever version of Windows that you as a user had installed, and they would patch it on the fly so that you wouldn't need to buy additional Windows licenses to update your Windows OS. That's bonkers. So, <laughs> yeah, so OS 2 would kind of just handle that all for you. What makes it even cooler, and this is something that really does seem crazy, um, you get it today with with certain apps like Parallels, but Windows virtualization could also not only just be windowed, you know, wherein Windows literally runs inside of a window inside of OS 2, but it could run seamlessly wherein Windows programs would actually appear directly on the OS 2 desktop just like any other app. And so I think Parallels calls this, what are they, oh man, what do they call coherence? it? Coherence? Yeah, coherence. Same idea where it's a Windows app, but you don't really notice because save for, you know, some of the menus and, and stuff being a little different than they would be on OS 2, it's running just like any other app. From launching it, I mean, you could, it wasn't quite as simple as just like clicking an icon, but it was not super complicated. I mean, it was really pretty seamless. And all this virtualization work from such an early age was pretty cool. And, and it's my perception based on what I read that the system still remained pretty responsive and pretty stable. There was a joke that, you know, it ran Windows app, apps more stably than Windows itself. And it was <laughs> inside of another operating system. It's pretty cool. This must have seemed like magic in the early 90s. For real. And, and I think a lot of it, comes from IBM's work on the mainframe side, where it definitely goes on now, but it was even going on then, where they were virtualizing older software on new hardware. And so IBM had the right. knowledge. You can go buy a new IBM mainframe for your workplace, or your data center, or whatever. And a lot of them mm -hmm. support pretty old software stacks because the world still runs on things like COBOL. Now we get to OS2 version 3. Uh, this comes a couple years later, and it's colloquially known as Warp. Ooh. Warp. Now, of course, being IBM with a bunch of kind of business suit men, but also computer nerds deep down, uh, this was a reference to Star Trek. And as you might guess from the name, the whole idea was that Warp would highlight the performance um, benefits and improvements in version 3 over version 2. It offered broader hardware support, internet-compatible networking, imagine that, uh, better multimedia support, and an office suite called IBM Works. And, you know, OS 2 Warp looked actually pretty good when compared to Windows uh, OSs of the time up until 1995. But before we get to that, we need to talk about how 
OS 2 really expanded beyond just some basic beige PCs in the homes of very few people. <laughs> OS 2 has showed up in some weird places over the years. It, for a long time, was extremely popular for things like embedded systems, like ATMs, yeah. where you need them to run 24-7 for months and months at a time, right? You need it to be able to reboot if the power goes out and it'd be okay, And like you said, by this point, the stability was pretty good. And so you could do this, and it was so flexible that you could run DOS and Windows applications too. So this is why it showed up in so many places. Uh, So I mentioned ATMs. Uh, Another one is the Denver International Airport. So when the airport was being, Hmm. I think, expanded or a new section was being built, they turned to OS2 to run the baggage handling system, right? So the computer that knows and controls where all the suitcases go. Pretty big deal. It ended up being a disaster, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, But it seems that OS2 wasn't actually to blame, but the software written on top of it by a contractor just totally failed. It did run OS2 for quite a while, and the the system was patched and fixed, but eventually just removed. And so, yeah, if 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 you flew through the Denver International Airport at some point, the late 90s, and your suitcase went missing, it may be the fault of an OS2 program. Mm. And not the fact that that airport is haunted and a secret military base run by the Illuminati. Nope, definitely not that. Have you heard these rumors? Okay, well, one time when you're you're ready to have some fun, go read about the Denver International Airport. It is. All right. (laughs) It's it's a good time. Okay. I'll I'll put it on my list for ungenious. (laughs) You really should. That's not the only place that, um, you know, OS2 kind of found a home. Really, how do I say this nicely? Windows NT didn't take off quite like Microsoft had anticipated, I think because of stability issues and the fact that, like we had mentioned, they were not so integrated into the mainframe market like IBM was. And so IBM saw further deployment in in kind of weird situations. For example, um, NPR system for sending programming feeds to member stations via satellite. That ran on OS2 clear up until 2007. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. If you if you were impressed by that, listen to this. The OS has been an important part of New York City's uh, subway system for MetroCards. Um, and MetroCards have been around since kind of like the early 90s. They stopped accepting coins in, I think, the early 2000s. Um, but, but that ran and still runs OS2 due to its overall stability and its crash resistance. Um, It was installed in the late 80s before Windows or Linux were really around and viable. And today, it remains responsible for running the MetroCard system, connecting a writer's card swipe back to the mainframes behind the scenes. And uh, as of today, uh, 2021, it's still all over the place. And it's going to remain there up until the point when MetroCards are discontinued and no longer utilized when they move to more modern uh, kind of NFC-based uh, pay-as-you-go systems. But quite literally today, if you ride the uh, New York City subway, you're still using OS2 behind the scenes. And the terminals where you load up your card, those still run OS2 as well, which are connected you know, further upstream. And uh, uh, there's several articles 
that we'll leave in the show notes that are fairly interesting about um, OS2 being utilized in the New York City metro area. And um, in fact, it's it's actually been a really reliable system. And the problems with the subway um, have, have not really been uh, IBM OS2's issues. In fact, um, you know, there are a couple of people that say that that might be one of the best parts of the, in- <laughs> of the entire <laughs> system. Pretty wild. <laughs> Uh, as we mentioned, Microsoft and IBM split ways in the in early 1990 or so. Despite OS2's strengths at this point, they had a slow start, but they eventually got there. It was just too little too late. Windows yeah. 3.0 really cemented Microsoft's grip on the personal computer market. It was shipping with nearly every new computer. It worked well with MS-DOS, of course, and it was a little bit cheaper than OS2's price tag of $195. That's not the only thing, though. Windows just had better hardware compatibility, a more quickly growing library of third-party programs, and kind of their machines, uh, because they supported so many different manufacturers, um, certainly went up market, but were also more inexpensive to access from the get-go. A lot of that is in part to the fact that Windows 3 and even you know later Windows ninety five were just simpler systems, and so they didn't require as much memory and a lot of hardware overhead that OS two really really needed. And and IBM's problems internally, I think maybe they're not as big of a factor as as Windows was, but I, they're a very big factor in why OS two fell apart. Yep. Uh, there was an internal study that identified massive problems. IBM decided to cut over 95% of the overall budget for OS2, laying off 1,300 people. Yeah, it it was bad. There were so many organizational issues that one employee stated, basically everybody reports to everybody. It didn't seem that there was really a very good structure at all. And this might explain why the system, despite its good ideas, was criticized for having code quality issues. And then it would also explain why it took years to get anything done. Um, I mean, it seems ridiculous that it would take a five-year delay to move from 16-bit to Mm 32-bit, especially when you look at all of the competitors moving over much more quickly. And part of that is is likely due to the fact that IBM is inherently a a large organization, that they require kind of more extensive backwards compatibility and support. But it was just a poorly run company. And so Warp 4, that was the last version of OS2. It added support for Java and included a speech recognition engine, which is pretty cool. Um, Some special builds even included support for multiprocessor systems, which is uh, fascinating. Oh, and it shipped with support for Apple's OpenDoc, which is, well, that's a whole nother tragedy in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I read that. I was like, oh, of course, OpenDoc ran on OS2. <laughs> uh, after IBM discontinued development, a number of companies approached Big Blue to take it over because there was this user base, even though it wasn't massive. And a company named Ecom Station eventually won out and began reselling and supporting OS2 beginning in 2001, with IBM sort of officially finally bowing out of OS2 support around 2006. 
And it gets a little confusing because Ecom Station, this this company, still actually sells and supports a lot of the existing OS2 installations. Um, because like we mentioned, there are still a lot of companies that use it today. And so they're kind of there to continue kind of <laughs> taking care of those customers. However, in 2015, another company called Arca Noe, I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. It's a fascinating spelling. Uh, they secured an agreement with IBM to actually begin reselling OS2 hmm. in 2015. Again, so they released their own OS2-based system um, and OS called Arca OS, which remains under active development as of today in 2021. And you can actually purchase a personal copy of Arca OS 5, which is, again, based very closely on OS2 for $129. So many questions about who's buying that. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> of course, with uh, the ending of any major software, you get petitions for people to have access to it through an open source project. In both 2005 and 2007, a large number of people asked IBM to open source OS2. However, the company refused, citing both technical and legal reasons. Uh, there's some suspected validity to this, as a lot of third-party code IBM doesn't have rights to anymore, of course, much of it being from Microsoft. And so you just don't open source it. Well, just, that's there. It's sort of frozen in carbonite. But there are there are fans of OS2, and, and there is still a small community around it. Uh, there's a site in the show notes called Warpstock, and their headline is bringing you OS2 warp news and rumors since August 1997. And you may think, <laughs> well, when's the last time that site was updated? There were more than 42 references to apps, drivers, and ports updated for OS2 last year in 2020 alone. A lot more alive than some of the other communities that we've talked about on this show. Yeah. <laughs> Probably healthier than the Zoom community, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Although, you know what? Zoom's getting a comeback this year and last year. It's a meme now, again. I don't know why. Because we covered it. Well, that's right. And then I did a video on it. That's, that's why. And that did extraordinarily well. But I think it's because a couple of other YouTubers began talking about it and a couple celebrities posted pictures of it. I, we're just going to take credit for it. Yeah. But you're welcome, you're welcome Zoom world. heads. Yeah, that's right. A bit sad. A bit sad of a story this is. Kind of not sad because it is IBM and IBM was IBM. I imagine that the computing market would be vastly different uh, today if, if IBM had won out over Windows. Maybe I'm incorrect in thinking that, but the culture, kind of the scrappiness of a Silicon Valley Microsoft, I think, ended up kind of forcing the computer market to not to say that it was that it was volatile but but IBM was just so structured and so corporate at that standpoint that I think a lot of the the cool innovations that happened in the PC market would not have happened had had IBM kind of done it themselves not to mention the fact that while they didn't do all of their hardware in house they they worked fairly closely with their hardware and their software more apple-esque than than microsoft which really just kind of let windows run on anything and so yeah interesting story i mean what can we learn from this steven i think it i think a couple of things one don't go into business with the company you're trying to compete against. That never works. <laughs> probably probably a good idea, right? <laughs> don't bet against 1980s and 90s Microsoft. Don't do that either. That's probably not super relevant today, but <laughs> it's a lesson IBM and many others learned. That's right. 
But yeah, the big thing I, I walk away from this is is what you just said, is that Microsoft's model of licensing the OS and basic and selling applications on top of it, that did lead to a lot of very interesting hardware advancements. And you you see these PC hardware companies come and go over the years. And, and now today they're fewer than ever, probably. But that whole ecosystem was possible because Microsoft decided to license DOS and then Windows. Whereas if IBM had won, the industry may look much more like this in Apple, where you have companies controlling the whole stack, you know, hardware, software, the application layer. I just don't know if we would be as far down the road as we are today without that competition. Now, I think history says that the Microsoft model is extremely successful, but at the same time, Apple is the most valuable company on the planet, depending on what day of the week it is. Right. And so the the consolidated vertical stack also can be successful, but IBM's timing was just terrible. I'll tell you who benefited substantially from Windows becoming the, the, the more popular platform and a company that would not have had as much of a chance against IBM, and that's Intel. <laughs> I yeah. mean, Intel benefited massively from from Windows. And, uh, you know, 2021 is looking pretty grim for them <laughs> the last several years have. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? Maybe in uh, 10 years we'll be doing a flashback episode about that old company, Intel, that went out of business that was the number one chip manufacturer. Yeah. I mean, well, in, in some ways, the, their fate is still in Microsoft's hand because if Windows goes to ARM and it's successful, yeah. where does that leave Intel? Right. And so, or where does it, or should I say, where does it leave the x86 platform? You know, Intel could, I guess, become an ARM licensee. But yeah, it's just so interesting that decisions made 40 years ago around an operating system that very few people knew about, let alone remember, mm-hmm. like that they still have ramifications today. That's what I find most interesting about OS2. If you want to read one article about OS2, read the Ars Technica link in the show notes. It's the best single piece I've ever read on this yeah, it's topic. Uh, we pulled a lot from it. So uh, go check that out. You can see all the links in the show notes at relay.fm slash flashback slash 14. You can find us online. You can find me on Twitter and Twitch as ISMH. I host a bunch of shows here on Relay FM, and I write at 512pixels.net. Quinn, what about you? Uh, you can find me on social media at SnazzyQ and on YouTube at youtube.com slash snazzy. Well, until next time, say goodbye. See you later, folks. Bye, y'all.